Welcome to What's Wrong with Wolfie. Welcome to What's Wrong With Wolfie, a retro podcast dedicated to the pop culture of the 80s, 90s and zeros. My name is Jason. I'm Chris. And I'm Steve. No rich this time as we leave the comfort of films to discuss a TV show that on one hand was loved and cherished by its fans, but on the other was hated by the people in charge as it was cancelled while the first season was still airing. With a cast full of talent, great production and one unique setting, it's time for us to enter the world of Firefly. Take a six-shooting spaceman. Bring it on. Pilot Savant. Who's flying this thing? All right, that would be me. Tough guy named Jane. Now you only gonna scare him. Pain is scary. Cosmic hooker. How's business? None of yours. And a girl in a box. What do you get? The most twisted new show on television. Let's move. Out there? Oh, it's out there. That's what makes us special. From the creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Firefly. Premieres Friday, September 20th on Fox. 500 years in the future, a renegade crew aboard a small spacecraft tries to survive as they travel the unknown parts of the galaxy and evade wearing factions as well as authority agents out to get them. Consisting of Captain Mel Reynolds, Ensign Zoe Washburn, Pilot Hoban Wash Washburn, my God, this is a mouthful already. <laughs> um, mercenary Jane Cobb, mechanic Kaylee Fry, former Alliance Medical Officer Simon Tam, his psychic teenage sister River, Courtesan. Oh my God, why is there so many characters in the show? I know, it's, nine. There's nine of them, uh, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, Courtesan. I can't, uh, if I pronounce these wrong, I'm so sorry, but you should expect it from me now. You know, it's hmm, just a given. Yeah. Courtesan Inara Sira and Preacher Shepherd Book as they set out to do any jobs they can get their hands on as the Serenity crew travels across the outskirts of outer space. Oh, well done, you did it. From that. Thank you. <laughs> I was sort of hoping, I was sort of hoping, Jason, that you might have pronounced book wrong. <laughs> What's a brook? Shepherd Buok. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, I know my pronunciations of words are bad, but I mean, come on, even I can read a <laughs> fucking book. <laughs> of course, of course. But before we get into anything else, I think we need to get the elephant out of the room, guys, and discuss why the show was cancelled so suddenly, especially with the potential it showed at the time. To say I'm a massive Firefly fan, everyone says flan every single time. <laughs> Firefly every, flan. Every yeah, single time. Um, I was there like, probably like, you guys from the very beginning um and i knew of the show because i was an early adopter of internet forums back in 2001 and i heard about this thing called firefly and people were posting up videos and clips and i was like that sounds awesome it's from joss whedon that sounds even awesomer we got firefly after its cancellation it had aired i think 10 episodes or 11 and got cancelled after its 11th when it aired on Sci-Fi Channel here in the UK, we got the two unaired episodes, which hadn't e- they hadn't even had the decency to air them in the States. So we essentially had an exclusive. We had the whole show, and it was one of the first times a season drop had happened because the show had debuted and been cancelled by the time that we got it. 
they're airing two episodes a night for like a week and a half. So you could essentially binge watch the season two episodes a night on Sci-Fi Channel or record it on Sky Plus or whatever. Did they air them in order on Sci-Fi? Yes. Wow. They did. We got them in order, chronological order. We didn't air the pilot episode last. Fuck you, Fox. Um, (laughs) And we also didn't air the two middle episodes out of order either. So it actually made sense for a show to practice sort of semi-serialized storytelling was kind of groundbreaking for sci-fi back then, not so much for drama shows. They've been doing it for a fair few years at that point, but it wasn't serious serialised. It was more, what's what's the word I'm looking for, lads? Subtle serialisation. So each episode did follow on, but in a very subtle way. There were character arcs. Yeah, there were. The the added value to watching the show in the Mm. fucking order you're supposed to watch it. Yes. And that was the point. And I think... The, the network were quite kind because they the, the first pilot, Serenity, was too slow. And they gave Joss Whedon a second chance to film a second pilot, which became the train job. And for all those nerds out there, what's the only other sci-fi show to be given a second pilot and a second chance at its existence? Star Trek. Ooh. It was Star Trek. They, they made the cage with Jeffrey Hunter. And the network didn't like it because they had to use their brains. And they wanted a more quick fire, sort of like plot driven bit of action rather than this, you know, very cerebral thinking episode. So Joss Whedon delivered the second pilot and it was, to quote Hot Fuzz, proper action and shit. If I remember rightly, Fox's main contentions were that uh, Mal was too dour. Um, they didn't fight back against uh, a bad guy enough, you know, because mm-hmm. the show is smartly written. So they sort of tactically retreated from the from the situation. And yeah, there wasn't enough action. So the train job, you see a slight shift in Mal's mm-hmm. character where he's slightly goofier. And yeah, I, I, there's a lot more action. Yeah, that was one thing I loved when I was when I got older and older, and I kept watching the pilot, the pilot version of Mal. And the Mel you see in Serenity are a lot darker and brooding and more trauma-driven because um, Nathan Fillion was a god amongst everyone, still is my man crush to this day. But like Steve said, it was a goofier take on a character, more jokey and more sort of like the family of his crew driven, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the pilot, he's very cold and very abrupt and quite stern he he is but like he has the capacity to be soft that's like when he uh, has to be the, yeah the mal yeah. in the first episode is more complicated mm-hmm. than mal in the train job like it's not that it's not that he's actually more dour he's just more complicated and yeah it sucks that the, the network was basically like no that's too complicated no 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 Make him crack some jokes. Because again, to quote Ian Malcolm, and before you thought about it, you slapped it on a plastic lunchbox and you're selling it. Mm-hmm. That's what people do. That's what executive producers do. And they couldn't even do that correctly. It was the same thing that her shows coming out at that point and Star Trek Enterprise is a prime example. The network is now run by people in their 20s who don't get what they've got. That's why Star Trek ended as it did with a whimper because they didn't understand it. They didn't respect it. And they were like, Star Trek's done. It's had its day. So they cancelled it. And the same happened with Firefly. I think Fox at that point, there was a big transition happening, like hierarchy and management. And it's that big shakeup. It just, yeah, whatever they did in America to, to fuck that up, I don't know. To say that 
if it had three or four seasons, that it wouldn't be the cultural phenomenon it is today. I think the cancellation like helped it become that phenomenon because I pre-ordered the DVD back from Woolworths for those people who like time travel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've still got it and it's I picked it up and we we watched I introduced my wife to Firefly and she was like not the biggest of sci-fi fans and what drew her and me to it was it was refreshing. It was a perfect blend of old and new with contemporary character storytelling and you had that gritty western, you had that that functional gritty sci-fi that Star Wars had quite successfully put together but this was this was deeper I think than that because it was Joss Whedon's passion project to do a space drama and a close-knit family uh, well a found family on this this analog for a barn in space (laughs) you know and it looks like a barn it shapes like a barn they put cows in it like a barn and there's cows in it in the episode, the end of Shindig, which again, to go back to storylized storytelling, the episode after that is they're trying to sell said cows yep. for the person that was Averton Wings. You know, so if you fuck up that thing, you're like, why are they, why are they selling cows and why is Shepherd Book being shot? Yeah. And then three episodes later, they've got cows again after Mel wins a sword fight. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. The degree to uh, which this show was fucked over by the network is legendary at this point. Um, the and Fox wanted a different show than the one mm-hmm. they made, and they just tried to hammer it into the shape that they wanted it to be. And I saw quite recently, um, uh, well, I, I refound the original Fox promo. Um, mm-hmm. I've sent you a link to it, Jason. I don't know if there's anything that we can do with it. Okay, I'll have a look. But it's the way they marketed the show was marketing a show that they wanted it to be and not the show that it was. And the trailer, like the, 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 the promo, the, the, the first promo, the first glimpse that they gave to people of this show is disgusting. Mm-hmm. It's horrendous. It's like, it's got that walking on the sun song. Mm-hmm. playing, And the guy's like, what do you get when you mix a galactic hooker? With yep. a girl in a box, it's the most twisted new show from the minds of Buffy. The like it's it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. It's like putting a banner ad on a Vermeer painting. Like it's it's horrendous, and like everything was working against this show, uh, and it, and it's try and like I haven't watched it for quite a long time, and I'm always a bit wary of going back to it. But I, I thought that I was like I, I was over the cancellation of Firefly. But me and my partner, we watched it over the last couple of weeks. We got done watching Serenity last night. And, like, I'm not over it. I'm not. That <laughs> show is so fucking mm-hmm. good. And it, it is a real bummer that it got cancelled. But sort of like how what you alluded to, though, Chris, is like, it, obviously, I would rather this show kept going and that it, and, and that it was given the respect that it that it so clearly deserved but like in in a way like the show is about failure and it's about being an Mm -hmm. underdog and in a way the cancellation like kind of works right it's it's a scrappy upstart crew fighting against the odds the show also was fighting against the odds and ultimately lost and it so it sort of works for the legacy of the show but boy howdy would i have loved you know a couple more seasons of this thing because it's oh it's so good but there's there's a famous um outtake on the set of serenity 
where Nathan Fillion turns to the camera and says, there's nothing like a major motion picture to get over the cancellation of a beloved Fox property. <laughs> and Adam Baldwin just turns around and laughs and goes, ha redemption. And I love the design of this ship. It is wholesome and it is happy. It's a safe environment. But then there's one episode where that environment is not safe and it fucks with your brain because that's their homestead in mm-hmm. this futuristic Western thing. It's gorgeous. The chairs don't match. The table's antique. And it's, it's got, it's just homely. Kaylee's drawn and painted flowers on all the piping and stuff. And I've just, I love it. I, they used to sit there and they, they wouldn't go to their trailers. They would sit around that table between filming and eat their lunches or just sit and chat. And the sense of community you get, I think this is one of the few shows that nailed their cast perfectly. Yeah. They managed to find nine perfect people who got on perfectly well. There was no miscasting. There was no there's no lack of chemistry. Everyone yeah. were friends. And, and as far as as far as I can tell, uh, nobody had a bad word to say about it. Most of them say that it was an incredible experience. Because, you know, Joss Whedon these days, he's taken on a new villain status and with good reason. And it's kind of tough now to go back to some old Joss Whedon work knowing the kind of things that went on during those productions but Firefly seems to be above reproach in that regard everybody seems to have had an absolutely incredible time on that show and it really really shows when you watch it as well the amount of convention footage that I see of the cast talking about it in such high regard 22 years later and I still can't believe it's been that long. I, oh, I know. I, I can't know. believe it's been 18 years since Serenity was out. I was there day one in the cinema. I enjoyed Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I'm not a massive fan, but I was a fan back in the day. But mm-hmm. Firefly, for some reason, seems to transcend any barriers. I think the main reason for that was the, the real stories that were told, the survival stories. No one's immune. Everyone's fragile. Everyone's eking out this meager existence and finding their family and their purpose in life. And the voice of the audience is Shepard Book's story, where he comes into this ragtag group, even in the, the pilot episode when they come across the Reavers, or the Reavers follow them. And he sits with an armor and says, I left the Abbey and now falling into a group of criminals and stuff like that. And he's like, why am I here? I feel yeah, like I'm on the was, wrong ship. Yeah, but he was the one that was saying that life takes you to places you would never consider. You just have to take those moments. We sort of experienced that through him in the pilot episode and the first, then the second pilot episode. And you just, you learn, put it this way, right? I'm not naming any names, Star Trek Discovery, but Firefly had more character development in the first two or three episodes than that show has had in five seasons. Mm-hmm. Joss Whedon created a rich universe with rich characters and just blew it out of the park. He just, he knows how to write people. Yeah. I mean, say what you want about Joss Whedon and you should by many accounts, real piece of shit, but like the guy could write and yeah, it's, this is a character driven series and the characters are outstanding. Uh, Like there's not a bad one among them. Do do you think like, one of the reasons the, the studios kind of had had it in for Firefly because they were hoping this was going to be the next Buffy, and it kind of wasn't. I think Fox wanted their Star Trek, and they asked Joss Whedon to develop a show 
I think Joss has gone on record saying that he didn't conceive of the Firefly universe first. He conceived the people and the characters and the circumstances and then crafted his show around that. So you then you, you put them in this far-flung future. But it's almost a semi-dystopian future. And I think Fox wanted their Star Trek. They wanted their almost utopian thing, much like they got with the Orville now. Yeah. Bright, brightly lit, carpets on the walls, windows onto space. They got a space western which i think was refreshing which is why i think i loved it so much when it first came out because there's no phases or energy weapons mm-hmm. there's only two lasers that exist that didn't work failed and they suck tech. yeah yeah failed tech that did not work mm-hmm. they yeah. even tried to steal one from a collector in one episode which is a fucking great episode they use guns projectiles they don't even they don't even try and pretend that they're no. like the sound that they make is kind of sci-fi-y, but other than that, they're just yeah. fucking guns. They're yeah. shooting guns. It's raw projectiles, but it's got yeah. that that like pneumatic sound that yes. sci-fi has to just have to add that little bit of tweaking yeah. to it. But again, like the en- the engine room of the ship is perfectly believable. It's just a reactor that's just spinning with a few flashy lights and some tubes and Kaylee's just the engine, and it's not like this massive room with this futuristic thing pumping away. It's functional, gritty. None of them are wearing space clothes. They're all wearing just normal contemporary clothes. And then you get the Alliance. And I love how Joss Wynn did that, that the Alliance are what the Federation is to Star Trek, but they are corrupt as fuck. And they're run by these massive corporations that we all know and love today, these massive corporations with too much money and too much influence, and they're fighting against them because the Alliance don't want people to live these lives. They want them to conform. Well, and- like, even, even, even the Alliance, though, it's like the story of the Alliance is it's like the Roman Empire, right? It, yeah. get, it, it gets so big and is so wide that ultimately it has corruption and ultimately Mm -hmm. it has failures in it and it can't work in everybody's best interest because there's too many people. Mm -hmm. So even, even the Alliance is like complicated. It's not full of villains. There's no Darth Vader and it's, it's not, it's got a fashy tinge to it. Right. But it's not like a super future fascist organization. It's just like every other time mm-hmm. that there's ever been expansion and imper- imperialism. It's like ultimately you're gonna fuck people over. You mm-hmm. can't not fuck people over because you can't control that many people all at the same time. Yeah. One of the episodes that I love for putting a big corporation in its place like that was Bushwhacked, where they come across this ship drifting in space. There's only one survivor from a Reaver attack. Oh yeah. They go on board and this guy jumps Jane in the darkness and he's just one of the crew who have experienced what the Reavers had done and to quote Zoe like they will rape us they will skin us and wear their, our skins on their clothing and if you're lucky well they'll do it in that order and it's horrifying so when they go to this space station and they take on this guy they have no idea what they're going to experience whereas people like Mal and Zoe and Jane have experienced these people. And, that, and that's another thing that I love. There's no fucking aliens in this show. 
Yeah, I know, yeah. Right. That, that episode where there's that like carnival barker um, oh. scamming people into <laughs> paying money to look at a cow feed. Oh my god, it's hideous. What yeah. is it? What could it be? Oh, and it's a thing in a jar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my, uh, my partner, H, was just like, oh my god, there's no aliens in this show. Like, it just occurred to her then at that point, there's no aliens in this show. Like, that's so like cool in a way. Like, the absence of something makes it unique. Yeah. Because it's, it's just it's just believable sci-fi, right? Yeah. It's it's taking the Fermi paradox, isn't it, where there is an infinite amount of like solar systems and planets that they are so remote that the likelihood of us coming across an intelligent life form are so remote that we never will. And Firefly does that and five hundred years in the future we've had no contact. We've nope. had no no and nothing. All the, and all the planets are dead. Like we got a terraform that shit, because they're all dead. Yeah. Like we 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 yeah. And some of the terraforming failed and made people sick. It's yeah. it's that rich world building that after the third episode you know exactly where you are and who they are and and it's it's all objectively brilliant unless you are a Fox executive in the early two thousands and you think that you know how to sell ad slots and you go no that's all garbage no one's going to watch that and uh, the fuck it just morons like yeah. it's like it's like the housing market if people think if people pe- People tell you what's going to happen in the house market. They're lying to you. Mm-hmm. Advertising executives and executives of networks and films and stuff, they will tell you what the audience wants. They're lying to you because they don't know. The audience doesn't know what it wants until it sees it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what happened to Firefly. It was a bunch of executives thinking, nobody's going to watch this garbage. Pull the fucking plug. And they were idiots and they were wrong. And we've 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 talked about it on the show before, but it's it's where the it's where the financial interests meets the art, and mm-hmm. it's bad. It's a it's bad ground, and a lot of things get tragically ruined in that uh, in that in that space. It's very sad. And that's that's what helped it as well. The international market for Firefly after it was unceremoniously fucked over by Fox, the rest of the world knew about it before it landed on their shores. The international DVD sales and DVRs and um, viewership was higher in Europe, the UK, and Asia were so much higher that everyone was like, do you realize what you just ended? And they didn't. Because some of the promos, like Steve said at the top of the show, some there was one promo out there that made Firefly look like a comedy show. Mm-hmm. Because they had edited in jokes from the first two episodes to promote the show. And it's like, you're making it look like a, a schlocky space cowboy sitcom. You're making it look like something no one wants to watch. <laughs> exactly. By us knowing Firefly before it landed here made it more successful. And the DVD sales proved that. And Fox realized that, yeah, we fucked up here. But it was too late. The damage was done. Did they realise that? Like, was there any sort of mea culpa on this? Or There's no official word, um, but someone who used to work for Fox did come forward, I think, on Twitter about, about 10 years ago and say, yeah, they fucked up and they knew they did, but it was too late. They'd cancelled it and filed all the paperwork before anything could be done. The only way they could save it was another network picking it up. Joss Whedon even, I believe, put the sets in storage for 18 months off his own back, knowing that somewhere someone would pick it up and finance it and they could move to another studio. And then ultimately all of that was bro- 
broken down and disposed of. Um, and there's an Easter egg in Serenity where some of the props yep. have stamped on them, like reusable, do not destroy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But tragically, uh, yeah, no, there was never reused because uh, Serenity was it. That, that was the end. But I think I think that's what attracted me to the show a lot was just knowing or hearing about the troubles that it had in the States and it just intrigued me more to want to see it. But I mean, I never saw it on the Sci-Fi channel. I, I, I bought the DVD box set when it came out and, and watched it that way um, instead, instead of watching it on the telly. But I think, like we said, all the troubles, it's sad that it happened, but I think for the international market, it kind of helped it because I don't think it may have had the success or it may not have got the attention without that. Mm-hmm. But like, I love what you just said, because I think we brought this up on another recording where some of the best films and TV that I've ever watched, I found at 2am on ITV or Channel 4 when I couldn't sleep. And you discovered it through DVD because you were intrigued. And you're like, fuck, this is actually quite good. Is there more of this? No. And Firefly fans have been traumatised ever since. <laughs> was like, is there more of this show? No, it's 13 episodes and a no, you know, hour and three quarter movie, unfortunately. I I was a big Buffy fan and my friend lent me the DVDs because I'd heard about this show, but I was sort of unsure about it. I don't know, Space Western, I don't know. But yeah, then watching, like discovering this show was a real treat and I wish I could discover it again because you get through that first episode mm-hmm. and then halfway through the second, you're like, oh, fuck, this is incredibly special. And then you start the countdown to the final episode and you're like, oh, that's it forever. Yeah. And I that that moment where you see Mal kick that dude through the engine when he doesn't say, yes, I'll take the message back. He's like, fine. And he just kicks him in the chest. And he goes straight through that engine. And then he threatens the other guy and he begs for his life. And I was like, fucking hell, this is no like, this is no Star Trek. This isn't yeah. afraid to pull these he, punches and he like he kneels. In situation. He kneels the second one down and just starts asking the exact yeah. same question. And the guy just goes, "Yeah, fine, sure. Yeah, yeah okay, <laughs> that's fine." I think somewhere, so we, we mentioned it a bit earlier, and uh, about having no aliens in the show, and like the guns being like proper real guns instead of lasers and all that stuff. And I think that was something that attracted me more to it than 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 it would not necessarily would otherwise, because it made it feel like this is a believable future mm-hmm. that could actually happen to to us, to me, or like to this earth as it is now instead of it being this made up world like star trek i mean i know star trek they obviously predict that you know we in the future will become the federation and starfleet and everything else i guess but 
with all the different aliens in Star Trek, I guess it just separates it a little bit from realism, from reality, I guess. Whereas Firefly just felt like it could actually be real. It could be mm-hmm. something that could happen to the human race because it didn't have the lasers, it didn't have the space guns, and it didn't have the aliens. And I think that was one of the other things that I really loved about it. And that was one of Jossie's pitches was we need to make it relatable and contemporary, but at the same time pepper it with some sci-fi stuff. Because when you when you if you put Star Trek in this in this reality on Firefly, their technology is discernible for not discernible for magic, teleportation, energy weapons that would need to have so much energy generation that it almost breaks the laws of physics alone. Firefly, you actually believe that when they're out of something, they're out of something. When they're eating blocks of protein, you know, that's that's all the food they have until Shepard arrives and he brings some fruit and veg from the Abbey. You know, it's relatable. Like you said, it's this... When uh, Kaylee eats a strawberry, you're like, she's not had a strawberry in a very long time. <laughs> and they get they get a punnet of apples at some point and they're just like hanging out and chewing on apples because they've not had them in ages. Yeah, there's, there's a reason for the apples, isn't there? You know, well, Jane, Jane, um, oh, of course, yes, Jane's Jane making up for into, yes. into the into the feds on Ariel, which yeah. is one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> and then Malney the airlocks him, and like, and then again, it's a perfect example where it's never mentioned in the previous episode, but the next episode, they're eating apples, and someone says, Oh, apples, yeah, Jane bought a couple of crates of them. No one, you know, we don't yeah. know why, it was no just, why. Yeah. and but we know why because Mal nearly airlocked him for betraying Mal's trust, yeah. And I love and, that. And, and and Mal lets him off because Jane says, "Don't tell them what I did. Make yeah. some make something up." Jane proves that he's capable of shame, mm-hmm. and Mal's like, "That's enough for me," because they're complicated characters, and it's a show that is intelligent and it has yep. real people and real characters. Oh man! But it's so it's good. like that scene that you know Mal and Simon share on the cockpit of Serenity. I says, why didn't you kill me? He said, you know, there's a couple things you need to get straight with me. First, if I ever kill you, you'll be awake and you'll be armed and you'll be facing me. And he's like, and also you're on my crew. And that's it. You just, you trust each other. You got each other's backs. And then that's all we need. Whereas Jane double crossed that and went back on his word and put everyone at risk. And again, if you notice, Mal just knocked him out. He, Mal was never going to throw him out of that airlock. It was again that that kind of teacher teaching a naughty child a lesson. And and in the first episode, Jane admits uh, that he had an opportunity to mm-hmm. double cross them, but he didn't because the money wasn't the good, money wasn't good, good enough. Good enough. And Mal says, "What happens when it is good enough?" And Jane just says, "Well, that'll be an interesting day." Yeah. <laughs> and then it happens later, and it is an interesting day with Adam Baldwin again, who is very tarnished now with his reputation, unfortunately, but. To play Jane, you first think Jane's this two-dimensional uh, commando, ex-commando type, cigar-chomping muscle. In any other, any other actor who took on that role would have played that two-dimensional and not given it much thought. And to link it again to like that 70s show with Ashton Kutcher, on paper, the character of Kelso is two-dimensional and simple. But if you play it with a genuine naivety and innocence... And you build up on those layers. Adam Baldwin is perfect as Jane. He just builds so many layers and and little character traits in there mm-hmm. that 
you don't believe for once that he's an idiot. He's just a, a lovable idiot who doesn't think things through first properly. Yes. And it's not two-dimensional. And on face value, it looks two-dimensional. Well, this is one of the reasons why it is easier to go back to Firefly than it is some of other Joss Whedon's work is because it is a uh, it's a joint effort from everyone and all of those actors are phenomenal and they all make really good choices when they play when they're playing these roles and Adam Baldwin real yeah. piece of shit but yeah. he's very good as Jane and Jane is a fantastic character I, I I was a bit worried about that I don't think I've watched this show since before like like the Gamergate shit and, mm. I, and I, I was I was like I don't know like Adam Baldwin can I really watch Adam Baldwin uh, he's phenomenal in this he's so good in this and yeah, the character yeah. you can totally forget who it is because the character is just is great he's he's great he's just charm charming as fuck and yeah. the chemistry with all of them that 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 almost as the show goes on they him and River build up that surrogate brother sister relationship where Jane in the episode Ariel dobbed them into the feds, got double crossed by the feds. But at the same time, River and Simon respect him for realizing what he did wrong mm-hmm. and trying to get them out of that situation mm-hmm. and doing everything he can. Cause he realized I fucked up. So is that, is that what happens there? Cause he changes the rendezvous, right? He's like, no, 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 it's changed. We're going out the back now. Is that Jane trying to undo what he did? Yes. Okay. Because uh, I wasn't too sure about that. In I've got the thing behind me somewhere, the Firefly Visual Companion. Oh right. And there's scans of the script and edited scenes. There's a scene that's annotated and it's unspoken in the episode. And you can see it where Simon's doing the whole holographic imaging thing and Jane realizes how damaged River is. Okay. And how much good. good how much good Simon can do for people and Jane has that light bulb moment where it, when he says, Right, plans changed. That's the turning point. That's when he realizes what the fuck have I done? Mm-hmm. And good. then he says plans not, changed. It's not super clear in the episode because he no. could also be changing the plan so that he can follow through with his yeah. betrayal. And in the end the feds track him and meet up with him in the basement door anyway. Yes, and he gets busted, and, which is what happens when you call the feds. Yes. And I love, there's that lovely moment where they get caught in between two doors of feds, like, you know, and Jane goes for the door. I love how Joss Whedon plays with coincidences, but he doesn't overdo them. He peppers a coincidence in, and that's all you you get for like an episode or two. And he just happens to be on the other side of the door to Mal. And Mal looks at him and says, what the fuck are you doing? And completely, like, no no lines. He just looks at him and says, what the fuck are you doing? Come on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And... If that coincidence hadn't happened, they would have all been dead, and mm-hmm. Jane would have been incarcerated or or wet or worse. But yeah, yeah there is that turning point where so- Jane realizes done wrong. Oh, we could just go on our anyway, Jason. That's why we think it was cancelled. To answer your yeah. question, <laughs> forty minutes later. <laughs> oh god, there's so much, so much complexity and layers to this show that yeah. no one ever thinks about until you watch it so many times and you pick it all up and you're like, Jesus, I could talk for hours and hours. And <laughs> yeah, hours. yeah.
we we've kind of bled in into the cast, I guess, through 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 the conversation. So let let let's have a let's have a chat about the cast of Firefly and. Like we look back on a lot of TV shows and the cast that they assembled for for them, and they always have like a you know two three standout kind of actors in in their show. But for Firefly, they they seem to have struck gold. Like I think everyone that they cast for the main roles just kind of nailed it completely, and they managed just to get this collection of people that just brought something different to each character of the show and kind of bring that out perfectly which added this extra layer of intrigue to the show we, we should go through each one of them and, and just have a quick chat about them because i think it's i think they deserve that from us yes you know, they do they would be cross if they heard that the wolfie pod covered firefly and they didn't <laughs> give yeah. the cast. oh it was ha- it was happening jason i was gonna send you down the editing rabbit hole anyway so <laughs> Excuse me. So, when when they listen to this episode, absolutely, yeah. So obviously, we need to start with Nathan Fillion, and like this was, I'm sure, not just mine, but quite a lot of people's first exposure to Nathan and his acting capabilities. And he he was just perfectly cast as the captain, the the leader of this group of people playing Malcolm Reynolds. Yeah, he just he just got it, didn't he? He mm-hmm. just just nailed it and just brought his own personal charm, I guess, to the role, as well as uh, lots of other uh, things, didn't he? He was the accessible everyman in a way. Yeah, it's very very pretty, but accessible oh, everyman. Absolutely gorgeous specimen of a man. Yeah, um, just like ridiculously yeah. handsome. I bet I bet he smells fantastic. But yeah, he's he's just like naturally extremely witty and warm and funny. And Nathan Fillion is fantastic, and I will watch anything with him in it. Yeah, and, and and I think he knows the cultural cachet that he earned from mm-hmm. this show, and I think when he, whenever he was cast in a different show for like the five or ten years after Firefly, I think they also knew the co- the yeah. cultural cachet. Um, but it's well deserved because he's he's just a very good act, very good act, actor. We used to watch his show, and it was where I discovered Ryan Reynolds, and I was on the Ryan Reynolds you know, wagon way before he got famous. And do you guys remember a a sitcom called Two Guys, A Girl and a Pizza Place? No. Yeah, it was this paint-by-numbers sitcom, basically Ryan Reynolds and this, I can't remember the other actor, and the two two friends who are renting an apartment. They rebranded the show after, like, I think season three to just Two Guys and a Girl, where, yes, it's a play on that trope. But Nathan Fillion comes in as Johnny, this guy who works as a superintendent in the building. That the female lead. For, do you guys have? Have you guys ever watched Monk? Yeah, on and off. Yeah. Um. The the girl in the first two or three seasons was the girl, the love interest for the lead actor. But what happened was Ryan Reynolds overshadowed that mm. lead actor and became a household name. And that's what got him the job on like Van Wilder and all those kind of gross-up comedies. Mm-hmm. But Nathan Fillion, I remember, I watched a trailer for Firefly. Sci-Fi UK 
had a completely different trailer. I think they re-edited their own, so it wasn't as cringy and horrible. Because I think Sci-Fi UK realised what Firefly was and what it meant. And I remember sitting there going like, that's that dude who's in that comedy show. Why? What the hell? Like, And I hadn't experienced him as a serious actor. Then Firefly happened and you're just like, oh, Nathan, where have you been? Mm-hmm. And he's always been on my highest regarded actors of all time. I haven't watched all of Castle. I haven't watched a rookie. But when he appears in his mate's projects like James Gunn's Guardians movies, and it's always happy to see him appear. Of course. Um, yeah. He has so much charisma. And, and again, this whole cast, unlike some cast members of shows who they, they don't have much time for the show they're on, this whole cast, all of them, apart from one not surviving, but they love it. And Nathan loves it. And he loves the fans for that. And he's just a lovely, nice guy from what I've heard from people. He's just a lovely human being. And it shows, it comes through that screen. The show has got pretty good uh, like gag reels and behind the scenes stuff. Um, And you see a lot of Nathan Fillion just dicking about. uh, And he, yeah, he seems great. I listened to him on a podcast in like the last year or so. And he was asked, would you do more Firefly if you... Uh, were asked to and he's just said why wouldn't i it was yeah. the best experience mm-hmm. of my life an episode where mal reaches for kaylee and hugs her around the back of the shoulders that wasn't scripted and jewel state oh my she's such a lovely little little bundle of joy that girl and he grabs her on the final take when there are rolling cameras and her reaction is genuine because she starts to smile and and giggle because he grabbed her around the shoulders put his arm around her because that's the kind of caring paternal energy that he gives off and it's completely unscripted and it works. And that's what that guy brings to everything he does is that personal touch of just panache. Whilst also being uh, a a haunted war war vet as well. Like it's, uh, he gets that in, gets that into the performance. Uh, There's nothing like a lovable uh, witty rogue that's got, um, a traumatic past to indeed to someone again they they overdo the you know the traumatic past nowadays don't they everyone's got to have a tragic backstory but the way nathan's character and nathan himself performed it was almost as if it's all been locked away and then you unlock it when you need it Mm -hmm. and then you put it back Mm -hmm. it's not all the time this this brooding monstrosity it's just you lock it away and when you need it that's when you access it yeah and um, is it Heart of Gold where they go rescue the freelance? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I ain't got no interest in them. The horse, Jane. I'm in. <laughs> yes, yeah. He he's he's spending time. I can't remember the name of the character now, but he spends time with with her. She's like the matriarch of the establishment, and he is vulnerable with her, and he finds mm-hmm. it difficult to let his guard down. And it's just it's played so extremely well, and you could just tell that he spends a lot of his time with his guard up because of his traumas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just great. He's he's He plays it immaculately, and the character is just fantastic. And the Heart of Gold episode, again, isn't, isn't the best one, but character study of Anara and Mal, of that Mal takes on this legitimate um, passenger who adds legitimacy. And this is a future people where legitimacy is if you have a registered companion on board... You are legit. You've got a legitimacy, so you get access to places you wouldn't normally because 
rich bored people need registered companions to get said ends away. Yes, no one wants and, to fuck them because they're nerds, so they've got to spend part yeah. of their vast wealth. And what it's just that that thing, isn't it, where it's like purely business, but over the course of the show, he starts to find her attractive and likes her energy, and you never see it acted on. It's just this this kind of like all the way through, and then when he finally does, it's with someone who he doesn't know, and you find out that Anara has been holding on to the same feelings all the way through, Mm-hmm. And then, just when Mel lets his guard down, that woman's taken away from him in a brutal way. Yes, it is the yes, yes, yeah, yeah ab- ab- absolutely. And like it reinforces. Well, they don't say this, but it arguably reinforces Mal's need to put his guard up and to not be vulnerable. Because yes, he immediately loses the person that mm-hmm. he was vulnerable with. But yeah, the 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 Idara and Mal is is this shows will they won't they. Simon and Kaylee is they will. Yeah. It's just gonna take a while. Whereas Mal and Inara is like they will they won't they and the closest you get is at the end of Serenity, right? Yeah. And the the Simon and Kaylee stuff was it was teased and it was it was that fire and that fire was stoked and stoked and stoked. Again it was one of those moments where it's like He's not interested, but then by the end of the show, he becomes interested. Oh, he's 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 interested. He's just he's just got a massive stick up his ass. And it, yeah, it's this it's so, it's so complex. We could do like f- three or four recordings, Jason. We could, Jason. <laughs> next next cast member, oh. please. I, I, I will just say I can't not have a conversation about Nathan Fillion and not bring up uh, Uncharted because mm-hmm. yes. he plays a great Nathan. That, he, he does. That, sh- that short film blew me away. That was it so came, good, wasn't it? It came out of nowhere, and for years, everyone's been saying, Naughty Dog are Firefly fans. And then when Uncharted came out, and you look at the character designs, and you listen to Nolan North's accent, and you're like, you guys have it on, you have it hot for Nathan Fillion, don't you? Like, Just look at yeah. Nathan, the, the character's name for starters, and the design is just like, yeah, okay, yeah, come on, fess up. And then they did that short film. And again, it dropped out of nowhere. How are they kept that secret? How are they filmed it in all those public places and no one knew what was going on and it dropped on YouTube and I was just like, whoa, wait, what? What the fuck? And in in 15 minutes, was so much better than that Tom Holland movie with Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, I mean, Nathan Drake is Nathan Villian and it's... Every, like what the fuck were they doing i like tom holland just fine but what the fuck yeah. were they doing like nathan, nathan fillion was perfect maybe um, yeah. arguably yeah. slightly too old by that point but maybe he yeah. rushed him up yeah, yeah. when yeah. when the short film was made he was what 45 and he's now i think 51 52 now something so way out of the ballpark but again when i adapt something it's just like what sells who's hot right now Tom Holland. Who else we yep. got? Who else we got? Fucking it's, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, it's it, it's it's ba- it's it's bankable wank is what we call it. It's just like I'm glad you brought it up, Jason. I just I love that. that yeah. that's no, awesome. it's a very it's yeah, a very good good. point because yes, that short film is is fan- is fantastic. Okay, Gina Torres played Zoe Washburn, born burn, whatever I don't know. Washburn played Zoe. Mm-hmm. Played Zoe. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. She's great. You know? Honestly, yeah, totally, just amazing. And again, she adds that just adds that that superior, not superior intellect, more like that. She's that that alpha. 
She's just tough as nails, isn't she? Yeah. She ain't going to take she, no shit. She's that person that Mal needs to survive. And if they didn't have each other as old comrades during the war and in future life, they would both be dead. Well, Zoe wouldn't be dead, but Mal definitely would be. Like, she's tough as nails, but but she's not a woman, like, playing no. a man. Like, she's, no, she's still... At all. When people say strong female character, which is a, a you know, a, a rote phrase that actually, like, really actually applies, but uh, Gina Torres plays an actual like mm-hmm. strong uh, female character who is a woman uh, who's also incredibly capable and smart. Mm-hmm. I, I I will say I wish that she showed a little bit less deference to to Mal sometimes, um, but whatever. That's her character, and their backstory is that she followed him through hell, and she's still fo- following him. So it makes sense. But yeah, she's great. But it's it's that classic way that Joss Whedon does it, where he's got strong female characters, but he doesn't ram it down people's throats. I mean, he does that sometimes. Yeah, but it's not constant. It's not. It's not constant. Like Firefly is like is his best work for a lot of reasons, and yeah. that's one of them. Is that there are female characters in this show who are strong without being axe twirling vampire staking. Yeah, unbelievable. It's... Yeah, I, I I just don't know like. Again, prime example is Indiana Jones 5. We can beat this dead horse until we're all blue in the face. But the the de the demasculinization is a trope that happens full frontal in Indiana Jones 5. Mm-hmm. For no reason but because it because it did. And it's hammering it over every single scene, every single line of dialogue. Whereas Joss Whedon has a mechanic who keeps this ship running. She keeps the air flowing. She keeps the engines going. She keeps everyone alive on that ship. You have Zoe, who is just this well-rounded human being. Who also has trauma, like the same trauma yeah. as Mal, but she's handling it in a dif- different way. So she comes across a bit cold sometimes. Yeah, but it's it's not it's not hammering it over, the, over your head constantly. It is done really gradually and tastefully. And she just solidly just took that role and was like, yep. Yeah, doing this well of course well so we had on one side uh mal and dealing with him but then on the other hand she had her husband uh wash or hoban wash washburn mm-hmm. um played by alan Dudick. <sighs> thank you Steve. I, I appreciate the save <laughs> alan hey it's that guy yeah. yeah that's the it's, dude it's yeah. uh, disney's good luck charm yeah. He's yeah. in he's in a lot of stuff and uh he's always good. I like him. Including the chicken in Moana. Is he? Yes. <laughs> okay. And yeah. <laughs> King Candy uh, and Rocket Roll. Uh, Steve the Pirate. Steve the Pirate, yeah. <laughs> in his seminal role. Dodge Dodgeball. And Sonny the Robot in iRobot. And Do yeah. do you think he's had like the busiest career for, from the whole cast of Firefly since since it ended? Possibly. Possibly. I don't He's know. He's the one that's been, been more in the cultural zeitgeist more mm. than the others. Like Nathan Fillion did Castle and then he did The Rookie. But the rest of them, I mean, the only thing I've seen Jules State in in the past 10 years was an episode of the Quantum Leap reboot, which... <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I was like, I gave it a go, and I was like, okay, okay. And then she was in the episode on. I was like, it's nice to see Jewel State do some stuff, but I just 
Jill State is Canadian, and my understanding yeah. is that she gets a lot of work on Canadian t- TV. But uh, like Alan, Alan, Alan Tadic, I, I don't know if I'm saying it right, by the way, Jason. I'm not kind no, of no, any kind of no, authority. No. Um, he's like the one guy who, when you start to watch the show that you're most likely to go, "Oh, hey, it's that guy," because yeah, he's had a lot. He's done a lot of work, so. Yeah, and he's his character. What like I love Wash. Wash is great. The thing about one of the things that I admire so much about Firefly, um, and that I was relieved to find when I returned for this re for this rewatch, is that uh, Joss Whedon's like worst impulses are like really um, mm. suppressed. Like like uh, Joss Whedon's had a lot of effect on pop culture, right? He's had a lot of influence on pop culture for better and worse arguably slightly more worse than better in the last 10 years or so where everybody is a comedian everybody makes jokes everybody's really funny and witty and charming it's all over buffy uh it's all over those marvel films captain america Mm. making quips is just it's a bit cringe right but firefly like they don't do that in firefly people are they make jokes with each other but they're always in character it always makes sense they make jokes with each other because they know each other whereas wash is the is the one character in this show who is the closest to being a character that you would find in Mm. like buffy the vampire slayer wash is a joss whedon character right he's 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 the guy who says well that happened um and like he he wants to talk about talk to Mal about something and Mal walks away and he just goes so later then with the talking it's just like wow uh, like Wash is the character that Joss Whedon got all that out of his head in and he respected everyone else but it doesn't matter because he's lovable and fun and great and R.I.P. It's like yeah like you said Joss Whedon gave his ADHD energy to uh, Alan Tudyk's character exactly yes and siphoned, siphoned it off but again, it's it, it's not overbearing either. No, there's no, some, it's there, not. No. There are some supercuts on YouTube that you're like, oh wait, that's that. What you think? You would think that the character Wash is a quip a minute, and it actually isn't. It's like one yeah. or two per episode. But the just the way they handle it and Alan's delivery is done in almost. Uh, I think he's almost that character's almost like that just to survive to be in this dark environment, and it's like masking this. Like that episode War Stories where you finally see Wash not the jokey person. Mm-hmm. Where they're kidnapped and strapped up and being electrocuted and bits removed. And you finally find out why Wash is like who he, why who he is who he is. Mm-hmm. And why he loves Zoe so much. And it humanizes him. And yeah. you kind of almost, like you said, Steve, you kind of almost accept that Wash is that Joss Whedon analogue. Definitely, yeah, hundred percent. Fireflies, Xander. He's <laughs> yes, you, yeah. you know, he's semi-audience voice and reactive, and also but definitely not. supposed to. Yeah, he's definitely slightly the audience sur- surrogate as well, because he's always the guy who's like, "What the fuck are we doing? What is that? Yeah. This is crazy. We're in space." You, you as the audience, you're supposed to relate to him in that way. Moving on, we we should talk about Adam. Baldwin mm-hmm. and his depiction of Jane Cobb and like he when I watched the show originally I think he was one of my favorite characters just because of the way that Adam portrayed him and like later on in my life when I watched uh Chuck I believe oh, he was yes. in Chuck yes he was he in Chuck. Chuck's father doesn't he um or... now he played a, a, poli- a police 
like an FBI agent, CIA agent, I think. Yeah, it was like a handler. It was like Chuck's handler or something like that. A watcher, wasn't he? He watched over him or something. Chuck all the way through. I think. I don't think I ever ever completed the show, but carry on. Sorry. Yeah, no, and, and I, I really liked him in that as well. He he's kind of got this kind of style, didn't he? Of like how he played a character, I guess, and he was quite similar in both. I think, which probably attracted me to to Chuck as well uh, from from how he portrayed Jane in in, in Firefly. But for, what what was Jane for you guys? Um, I Jane is a great. He's one of the best characters in the show. Yeah, he's just he's the like he's he's a bad person a lot of the time, but you can't hate him. You get the sense that he makes poor decisions because he ain't overburdened with an abundance of schooling more so than because, you know, he's an actual like bad person. I don't know. It's tough. Adam Baldwin is a real piece of shit. So, you know, I'm not sure I really want to linger on that particularly. But sure. the character is is just great. The show yeah. wouldn't wouldn't be the same. Like it wouldn't work without Jane. Like he, yeah. he adds an element of of risk and of edge to it. And he's always the one who is he's always the one who's willing to go there and to and to suggest the difficult decisions. Yeah. Um, whereas everyone else is too nice to say it. He he doesn't care. He will just say what he thinks. Um, yeah. He's he, yeah. he's great. And yeah. when he gets the hat, even better. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I shared with you guys in the chat like my firefly figures just like i bought one from america because it it was a malibu stacy moment uh underground toys in america i don't know if anyone's familiar with them no they had a variant and it had jane's hat so i imported it from the u.s because I, I needed jane cobb with <laughs> his hat. got a new hat and it was i laughed at myself because it was the malibu stacy smithers moment i was just like what have i done what have i become but when he gets that hat in that episode, um, the message: What do you guys go and order a dead guy for? <laughs> <laughs> and it's lines like that that could only be delivered by his character. And like we mentioned earlier, he plays it with such such a naivety, where he is just that paint by numbers muscle guy. But there's some depth there. There's some innocence. There's some there's some childhood things that he will carry. And he's got that that lovable rogueness that. He's just a cheek, kind of like a cheeky chappy. You can't. I, I don't know. It's again very complex performance and yeah. character that you you can't even pinpoint that almost trust that River gets in him, and he gets from her after Ariel is just. It's a lovely little, very subtle trait of the characters where they finally just get each other. I don't know. There's Jane's love of guns. That moment in the final episode where he hears everyone tussling upstairs. In on the deck, and he misses out on the entire thing because he's asleep, and he hears this fight happening, and he wakes up, and he grabs the gun curtain, and he puts it over his face and goes back to sleep. You're thinking they're gonna get Jane's gonna get these yeah. massive guns, he's gonna go and shoot this shit, and he he doesn't. Yeah, and I, I, it's very difficult to pinpoint the character of Jane, but the way it's performed, just yeah, Adam Baldwin, yeah, it's a bit of an ass, but. He did a good job. He did. He did. He he did a very good job. It it's like I think the way it comes across is the world of Firefly is is tough, and Jane is the way he is because he grew up in a tough mm-hmm. environment, not because he is inherently a scumbag. Well, the next person who, who's uh, Jewel State, who played the engineer Kaylee Fry, uh, she's the one who who I probably had a little bit of a crush on. 
a little, a little <laughs> bit of a crush. Yeah. And, I, and I, I always think that a lot of people um, would have had more of a crush on uh, Marina Baccarin, who played right. Inara. But for me, like I don't know, something about Kaylee and about Jewel, that just, yeah, just quite liked her. And she's a cool I, character. Mm-hmm. Yes, she's great. Yeah, she's she's great. She she lends an air of innocence to the whole thing, and she is like the heart of the show almost. Mm-hmm. Um, she's when something bad happens, she's always there to make it clear exactly how bad and upsetting it is. Um, yeah, she wears her emotions on her sleeve, and uh, yeah, she's she's great. I I I adore Kaylee and Jewel State. I just think they're. They coexist. When you look at the interviews, I mean, Jewel State was 19 or 20 when she got the role. She was that young. She was one the youngest on the cast. I think Summer Glau was the same age, thereabouts. Just, it's just a f- infectious energy. This innocence, this machines, she, machines just talk to her. She knows how to fix them. She loves si- the simple things in life that she's never known. Like when in Shindig, when she buys that dress and Mal escorts her to the ball, is a lovely scene. And then when she eats the strawberry on the deck of the sh- the ship, it's just like again, it's a beautiful scene, and it's so subtle. Her performance as Kaylee, again, like Steve said, is the heart of the show. And this again with the the visual companions that I have, it actually states there that all the little intricate things that you see on the ship. Is from Kaylee. Mm-hmm. She painted the flowers. She's painted the chairs and the table. She's got all the all the throws and the cushions that go on the sofas in that little that little communal area. You know, she's done all of that around. She's got that sense of home. That that she's that homestead girl, and she just plays it so warm and affectionate and lovely. And this pint-sized little bundle of happiness. I just, I don't know. There's just something about Kaylee's character. Is just normal. We've all known someone kind of like that in our lives. Yes, it is a fantasy, but nothing gets her down. Any situation is always a positive. She sees the positive in everyone and in any situation, apart from obviously there are a few moments where you see her frightened to buggery, but, and she just, I, I don't know, it's difficult. Again, it's so difficult to pinpoint um, what makes Jewel State special to the show, but she just is. I'm glad that the visual companion confirms all the artwork is her, but like the show doesn't tell you that. But when you spot them, you you just kind of know. You assume, like, yeah. You just yeah. kind of know because it's not going to be Wash, it's not going to be Zoe, it's definitely not going to be Mal. Simon and River don't appear until halfway through the pilot episode. Yeah, and Kaylee's been on a ship for yeah. I think like a year or two. It's stated in one of the, in the Outer Gas flashbacks. Yeah, and again by by foreshadowing as well like two episodes before out of gas kaylee turns around to mal and says you know we need a new was it a catalyzer or something she needs yeah and she says it's on the way out it blows and the ship's fucked in the middle of nowhere they can't achieve light speed they are fucked they're literally in the wilderness with no life support and the only air left is the stuff that didn't get sucked out the airlock and she said two episodes before that Mal needs to buy her a new part, otherwise Serenity doesn't go. Mm-hmm. And then in, I love Out of Gas for many reasons. It is just quintessential watching for a universe building. 
she even explains to Mal after the incident, it's nothing until you don't got one. Yeah, yeah. So Mal, by cutting corners and not buying her a new part, dooms the ship two episodes later mm-hmm. when it when it blew up. And it's that, that lovely, cohesive world building all the way through. She's so, uh, she's so sincere and... Uh innocent and my the favorite episode for me with kaylee is shindig because she loves the dress yeah and she's like i don't care she doesn't even she's not even thinking i don't care what any anyone else thinks it doesn't even occur to her what other people would think of the dress she's just like i love the dress so i want Mm -hmm. the dress and i'm gonna go to a party in that dress and it's heartbreaking when uh she gets made fun of for the dress but then she just but then she just ends up talking about spaceships uh, with a bunch of other guys. Yeah, I love and that scene. Someone, someone, try, someone tries to ask her to dance and they're just like, shut up, dude. She's talking. Oh, it's, 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 it's great. It's a beautiful yeah. scene. Yeah. And it's Joss Whedon literally putting the finger up to uh, social gender norms and expectations. Mm-hmm. When they say... Kaylee, it looks like you bought your dress in a store and then she's just brought down. And then without missing a fucking beat, this this rich fucker comes on and says, I can't remember what the uh, girl's name is. Says, oh, here it takes you a dozen slaves, a dozen days to get you into that. Or then it takes, you know, the quick twist of an arm for, a, was it a stable boy or something to get you mm-hmm. out of one? Yeah. And then she gets, she just stum- storms off and says, sorry, I can't abide useless people. And then, like you said, Steve, and then... Two minutes later, they're laughing and saying, like, oh, don't get in one of them. They fly right out the sky. And she's giving them engineering advice. And yep. <laughs> these guys realize that, hang on a minute, she knows what she's fucking talking yeah. about. And she's in her element because inadvertently, she's now talking to people who have the same passions and understanding. Again, it is writing characters. And a lot of credit goes to Joss Whedon. And I've been sitting on this for a while now. But a lot of credit also goes to Gene Roddenberry. But the people who work around them writing and editing the scripts and the characters and the show's Bibles are also equally responsible for a lot of the development. Jana Spenson being one of them, Tim Minear and all those other writers contributing to the show, they really make it such a rich environment. Like who know like did somebody in set design come up with all the flowers being drawn on the pipes and stuff? Like we, we that might that probably was not in the script. Like it's a real it's a real confluence of everybody working together to create something really fantastic. It's never specifically mentioned, but the set designers obviously they've got to build the sets like months in advance for shooting. So somewhere along the line someone has said we want to put these little touches where flowers have been painted on drawers and cupboard doors and the piping to break up that monotonous metallicness of the ship. And it's it's a lovely little touch. And Joss Whedon mentions it on audio commentaries as well, saying you know that he imagined that Kaylee would have put those flowers there. And I haven't read the, vis- the Visual Companions for a while, but it does state in there specifically that it was Kaylee that would have made it homely because she loves ships and she loves that ship and it's it's great
On the other end of the scale, I guess, we had Marina Bakrin who played Nara. And she, when we will alluded to her character already being the, the companion, the, the person that gave you the higher, was it the higher kind mm-hmm. of like? Uh, she's a whore, Jason. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Another cinnamon quote. I didn't know we had a dignitary on board. (laughs) She's a a whore shepherd. (laughs) (laughs) And yet again, another character that was quite intriguing just because they got a prostitute on a ship. And I'm like, okay, how interesting. But, you know, I don't know, like in a teenage brain, I suppose you've got a certain, uh, I don't know, bad picture of what a prostitute would be. But And I guess it's not what Inara is. She's very... How would you describe Inara? Well, like, prostitution it, uh, it has a has a grimy um, reputation because it's mostly illegal, right? So it goes all underground and gets all gross and dangerous, whereas in the Firefly universe, it's um, regulated and there's a guild, there's a mm-hmm. companion's guild... And so, yeah, it's high class uh, prostitution, but she's a companion as well, which is like, like she sells. She's she's a sex worker for sure, but you also get the impression that like she does, like she plays instruments and stuff like that. So it's a varied, it's a varied profession. It's a very well respected profession, and it speaks to the the old west kind of feel. Um, and also, you know, she's like a geisha, so it's got that kind of feel to it. So, so you know, Mal is ex- being extremely unfair when he refers to her as a whore because I don't know. That's those are his hangups, I guess. Maybe it's because it's uh, regulated by the alliance, and that's why he doesn't like it. I don't know, but yes, she's a she's a high, very very high class, very well respected, high society companion. And also, she's a valued member because she knows how society works. Mm-hmm. Yep. She's yep. almost the inside man voice. She of, is of society. Yeah, yes. yeah you, you can't go in there like that. However, mm-hmm. if you go in there like this, you won't be found out or you won't be seen. I love the idea that at some point in our future, prostitution won't be frowned upon because everyone needs to make a living, whether it's shoving shit into the back of a truck or selling their body. Some people need to do that to survive. And yes, there's that seedy underbelly of being groomed, isn't there, and being stuck in that profession. But but by making it an accepted job in the future kind of takes that stigma away. And you, you stop thinking about it with that stigma after two episodes by the way the characters worked through. I mean, Inara says it herself. Yeah. She's like, the thing about being sex positive is that you don't have to be embarrassed about it afterwards. It's 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 the one place where it seems like the society is uh you know progressed socially mm. is on those terms because you don't get the impression that Inara is in any way trapped in this profession she takes it very seriously and uh yeah she seems to really really love doing it good money apparently and you and you get to have all these although, contacts in society although she uh she left uh, she left where she was working, even though she was tipped to be like the matriarch and everything. Uh, but she left, and in an early episode, or it might have been in Out of Gas, I can't remember. But Mal asks her, "What? What are you running away from?" You get Inara is the character whose backstory is expanded upon the least 
there is a backstory there. There's something going on with Venara, but we'll we'll never actually find out. But there's a reason why she's flying around on this ship, and it isn't just so that she can travel around and take clients on different worlds. But sadly, we'll never we'll never find out why that is. And that's what frustrated me with Serenity the movie because her appearance was essentially a glorified cameo because they were asked by the studio to cut a lot of scenes and all of the scenes that were cut were with Anara's character. Yeah, both her and Kaylee take a bit of a backseat in that film, which is sad. Yeah. And it's a shame because if you look at the deleted scenes, they had so much richness to the film to a point where people have actually edited them back into a fan supercut. I've always been intrigued as to where those scenes were added back in because, again, they cut for time. If they made a film just for the fans, it would be four hours fucking long. <laughs> you know? Just make four episodes of a TV show. Yeah, just give us a fucking miniseries instead of making <laughs> an hour and three-quarter movie. But... Marina Bakarin specifically, uh, she plays it extremely well. She's extremely buttoned up and polite mm-hmm. and and very deliberate. But you can see, you know, sometimes she breaks and uh, she gets cross. Yeah, a- another complicated, nuanced character played by a very talented actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, pretty much now Firefly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who would sentence. who would appear? <laughs> in Deadpool and yes that's right unfortunately not the sequel but again another perfect casting of a character and again there's going to be three more perfect casts as well I just yeah we're just going to keep ticking that box yeah, keep top. ticking that box uh, and speaking of perfect casting uh, Summer Glau who played oh. River Tam yeah again just another intriguing character I guess and the way that Summer played River uh, was exceptional She's got a way about her that is hard to replicate. I think it's a good way of saying it. She does a lot of acting through her eyes, mm-hmm. which just makes it more inter- interesting. I don't know. There's just something about this character and the and this actress together as one that was just memorizing. Yeah, she de- she definitely has that look. She's she's big eyes. Mm. Um and yeah, she definitely has that look of of there's something going on behind there, but you can't quite tell what it is. And then obviously her acting as well. Yeah, she spends a lot of time, all of the time, being a bit cracked in the head. So in terms of what Summer's character is, it's kind of hard to say. She's very she's infantilized, um, with sparks of you know genius. She does a great job and she's a great character, but she's very mysterious and remains very mysterious throughout. Mm-hmm. And it's never, you know, you never really get to see under the surface. The more you rewatch the show and the film, you pick up on so many tiny, almost unnoticeable idiosyncrasies to that character, the way she played it. Just like little moments where Simon's got to inject her with some kind of stimulant or, or something and she just rolls her eyes, and then she pokes her tongue out as the needle goes in her arm. It, it, it's just so subtle. And if she's just going like to the needle, just poking her tongue out at it, because oh, it's just so many, so many, oh, my God. So many positive. <laughs> she's like, because she's super smart under there, and like she gets impatient sometimes by how mm. not smart everyone else is. Like, why the fuck don't you understand what I'm yeah. telling you? Like, in uh, in the film, in Serenity, when she's talking about Miranda and Simon is like, am I talking to Miranda now? <laughs> yes. And she gives him this look like, what the fuck do you yeah. know? Like, what, yeah. the, what? no, don't be, don't be a moron. 
again, again, that's that's almost harkening back to Wash's line, where like you know that sounds like something out of science fiction, and Zoe just turns around and says, "You live on a spaceship, dear." <laughs> yeah. And that moment in Serenity was exactly like, "Am I talking to Miranda now?" She's frowns at him, and was like, yeah. "Fuck off." The like, look no. is just perfect. It's great. No words. She just shoots him a look like, "Don't be a dickhead." In the episode Safe, where she's tried as a witch, it's just like there's an, there's a childhood innocence which is deliberate. But also, there's this all-knowing genius thing bubbling underneath that surface, where she knows what's going to happen, or she knows what it, what could happen. But she's seeing it through. It's like a it's like a miscommunication, isn't it? It's just like like we said earlier. It's just like I can't get what I mean out, but I know exactly how this is going to play out. Or playing mind games with Jane and Mal, as the show progresses, realise that she's not one to be feared or freaked out by and he respects them and again there's just summer girl's performance is so layered there's so much there bubbling under the surface and again it's all subtle it's not all in the dialogue there are lines she says just with a look in her eye or the the flick of you know and then there are comedy gold which you don't see coming if you haven't seen the show before where there you know was it I can't remember they're talking about like dying in the vacuum of space. Oh yes. And yeah. they go through all worry. this time. Don't we're not worry. gonna we're not we're not gonna burn to death. We'll, we'll freeze, freeze to death. To death, death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that that's out of gas and it's just like those beautiful comedy moments, like reeling off the ship's like serial and chassis number is morbid and creepifying. Yeah. You know. Also, this food is problematic is something that entered my vocabulary when I first saw yeah. it and I still say it now. Yeah. There, there are quotes in this show that I have used for 20 years and no one knows that I'm using them and I love it for that. Most of this show lives rent-free in my head. Oh, it's just... Really? We, we haven't noticed. <laughs> There's, I could, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just... Well, let's move on to her brother, Simon, who, who was played by Sean Mayer. And I don't really know what to say about this character. Like, is he the mo? Is he one of the more? I, I don't know. He's, like, he's a good. He's a good character. The actor does a very good job. Uh, I, the show wouldn't work without Simon. He's there for a good reason. I'm mm-hmm. glad he's in there. He's probably my least favorite character though, and he's probably yeah. the character that I come the closest to getting kind of annoyed annoyed at yeah. when I watch the show. Yeah, this is more more forgettable character, isn't he? Of 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 the bunch. He's designed to be that. Yeah. He's essential for the plot to work because he's, again, we all know these people, and I'm not going to mention names. I've known a couple of people like this where as they get older, their entire life is a performance because it's been drummed into them from childhood. You must be this. You must say this. You must be this person. So you're essentially watching an actor play a real person who's putting on a performance and it comes across as that which is the whole point of Sean's character he's been brought up to put on an image to put on res- like family respectability and he's not conscious of him doing it like the awkwardness around Kaylee likes he doesn't know how to react because he's never been in a situation he's always been again he's he has grown up around the people that you see in Shindig Mm-hmm. that's his people and he's found his real people and he is as the show goes on relaxing a little bit he's his prim and properness is being taken a, 
like and he's realizing that that that's not what it was all about and I went to college with someone like that and it's all a performance and you're like come on just meet the real person yeah. and the whole point of Simon is you only meet the real person when he hasn't got to put on that performance like when he's looking at River's brain scan or when they're on aerial and they're escaping and he sees what Jane's potentially done the whole point of yeah Simon's character is to give you that that uneasy cringiness of mm-hmm. social performance and I think Sean's fantastic by doing that is again it's comedy gold because he says things that you just don't expect him to come out with because he's so prim and proper of a stick up his ass and then all of a sudden you come out with something like like when he gets drunk in Jamestown they're in the mother's the mother's bar and he's absolutely fucking hammered yeah and when he gets up in the morning they're like get your shit together we're leaving in a couple of hours and he asks the, the barman have you got a breakfast menu? <laughs> yeah, can I see a menu? And, and the you, just like, you just hear off screen what? just here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. That's and great. It's moments like that where it's and Simon just sits there and just kinda of like realizes that why why did I just say that? And again, it's an unwritten moment that Sean plays perfectly well where he sits there and goes, Why did I just ask that when I knew what the answer was gonna be? My least favourite character the character that comes the closest to annoying me but you're absolutely right that's that's the point it's supposed to be yeah. that way and so in that in that sense um yeah very very good and also you're right as well has a lot of growth probably the most growth of every character in the show and there's uh, when you see that flashback where he's trying to find out information about his sister and his dad bails him out of jail mm-hmm. and is like it's on record me even entering yeah. this police station. Like you're fucking up my rep, my uh, mm-hmm. reputation. And he says, you do this again and I won't come back for you. You're on your own. And then later on in the show, uh, when he gets rescued by the crew, mm-hmm. he asks Mal, why did you come back for me? And Mal just says, because you're on my crew yeah. and you can just see, uh, you can see it in Simon's, uh, in, in that performance of Simon. Cause he's realizing like, Oh shit. Like, this is this is family. Mm-hmm. The, all the stuff I did before this was nonsense. Like this is what it's about. This is what life is. Yeah, it's it's found family by yeah. circumstance. Yeah. And as that episode goes on, you realise that Simon begins to realise in the, well the future Simon with these flashbacks realises that I don't want to be on these rich core planets doing like stupid cosmetic surgeries on people who shouldn't have should or you know he realizes that he can do better and he does he rescues river because his parents won't listen again zac efron's first acting credit is the young simon town <laughs> yes yes it is <laughs> just thought i'd throw that little nugget of information out yes there. uh yeah when when h saw that she was like oh my god it's zac efron yeah, and he hasn't got his teeth fixed yet. It's <laughs> well, I think I've saved the best till last, have I? Ron Glass, who played Shepherd Daryl Book. How was that pronunciation, Chris? Sounds all right. Awesome. The, the I mean, he was the preacher, isn't he? The, the mm-hmm. was he off the ship? Is he? Was he? Is he? That, ain't he? A, that ain't a preacher. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> what was he, Chris? Well, um. Hold on, just one second. Oh, oh, where's he gone? Chris Where's is doing something. Do you have uh, the 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 backstory? I'm I'm I, I haven't read it, but they released. You mean this one? That's the one. Yeah. So Chris is currently showing uh, yep. a comic book 
than it is a graphic Butch novel backstory. Yeah, it's um, a Shepherd's Tale written by Joss Whedon, Zach Whedon, and Chris Samney. And again, right, this this is where we all know Shepherd Book's deal is he's either running from something or infiltrating for some reason, and then he realizes that somewhere along the line, like I like to believe that he's running from his old life and wants to start new. But again, when you read, I've got lots of tie-in, no- I've got the tie-in novels and the comics that have been written. And what I love about those is it's written by the people who wrote for the show. So it's got that that sheen of continuity running through them. And again, with A Shepherd's Tale, they do fill in some gaps, but also they do it so subtly that you don't actually get any answers at all, which again is the whole point yeah. of his character. And I love Ron Glass, and it's a shame that he's no longer with us, but the air of mystery that he added to that character, but playing it so sincere at the same time that you knew something was different, like not right under the surface, or his history was a bit shady. And he even says in the film, I wasn't born a shepherd, Mal. So he's lived a life. He's done things he's not proud of, and maybe he chose the priesthood to start again or he seems to be he seems to be sincerely christian so so i i agree i i I think he's not necessarily running away but atoning for past and he's found solace in whatever faith there is and his stewardship of river is lovely there's so much subtext in shepherd's character where again in out in uh, objects in space, when Katie says well, you've you know you struck you've you've killed a shepherd or something like that, and the guy Jubal early turns and says that ain't a shepherd, and he just walks off, and that's all the explanation you need. All the fans have been like, for, since um, the episode where he gets shot when they're uh, selling the cows in safe, River knows he's got shot. She she just fills it in like her bones or whatever, and then. They realise there's only one place that they could take him for survival. So they fly into this Alliance cruiser and they see his ID card and put it in the scanning machine and he gets top-tier treatment straight to the operating theatre, life saved. And even in that episode, they're like, you know, what kind of a shepherd gets that treatment from the Alliance? Like, And then they, they just pepper all these little nuggets of information and breadcrumbs, but ultimately there are no answers. It just adds yeah. more mystery. And hey, I love that. Like- H was kind of frustrated that that's never resolved, but I said to her, you know, sometimes mystery is fun too, and yeah. the mystery of Shep- Shepherd Book is is fun. Like he he was clearly some kind of mercenary or special forces guy for yeah. the Alliance, something like 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 that. And he's holding back the whole. It's fun to think that he's holding back the whole time, you know. It's very, very clear. The Bible's very clear on killing, but it's fuzzier on the subject. On kneecaps. I love that. And again, I love the episode where, like, you know, River's River can't make sense of the Bible. It makes no sense. And every atheist in the world was cheering her on. She's like, yes, it's, it's, it doesn't make sense. It's all wrong. Noah's Ark like, has some issues. Yeah. And then and she just, explains, yeah. like, the, the physical limitations that make it so that. And then yeah. Noah's Ark makes no sense. And she's trying to put it all into an order and crossing out things and rewriting them to make it make logical sense. And then she sees Shepard without his hair tied back. <laughs> 
and she freaks out. It's like, yeah. oh, there's too much hair there. The head would cave in and she hides for the whole... And it's moments like that, those real human moments where I'd like to believe that Shepard's character found peace and moved on from his thing. But also there are fan groups out there who are like, well, what if he was planted on Persephone to accidentally stumble across Serenity to uncover what Mal is doing? But why would the Alliance be interested in essentially what is pirates picking stuff off of dead dead cargo ships to survive? Why, Why would they go to that length to infiltrate a small ship for a reason? Because at that point, River and Simon hadn't set foot on the ship. Yeah, no, that's that's not so. It makes no sense. They're working too hard for that theory. That doesn't make yeah. any sense. <laughs> what makes sense to me is he's found his redemption. Yes, and he just wants to go where the journey takes him, and that's all the explanation you need. And like you said, he was probably a mercenary, special ops, something or other that was well respected and had a very rich history. But I, I like the coincidental thing. The the operative uh, in the film, Serenity, he has no name and he doesn't really exist. And it's like, well, you know, maybe that's what Book was doing before. Yeah, maybe. But again, yeah. the operative was invented for the film as a antagonist. So the antagonists in the show were the Blue Sun Corporation, which, which again, in the far-flung future, Joss Whedon and the creators said that what if the United States and China were the only superpowers left, which is why you have the amalgamation of both cultures. So the Blue Sun Corporation was supposed to be that big antagonist. And then you have people working sort of for said Blue Sun Corporation, like Adlai Niska. And Badger was the informant that would kind of get in there and, and Shepard Book would give all these ideas about how to skip past all of these screens and how to not to be found and how to mask your and how to perform crime without getting caught and there's only and even jane says it you know one day you're going to tell us how much preacher knows so much about crime the mystery would be boring if it wasn't a mystery it wouldn't yeah it wouldn't be a thing it would be i don't know that i still want to know what the two by two hands of blue i just think they're uh they're again they're the the henchmen of the blue sun corporation yeah yeah, they just—they—they're so the cleanup crew, even though they don't do much cleaning up because they leave the dead bodies just strewn everywhere. <laughs> so that doesn't make any sense either. Well, you know, <laughs> they clean up in terms of knowledge. They clean yeah. up knowledge. Yes, uh, secrets are not their concern, but keeping them is right. He's great. I really, I really love. It's not really, uh, it's not really a book quote, but uh, when he's talk when he's talking to Jane about how he never has sex. <laughs> and Jane was like, "Not ever," and he says, "No, because I follow a narrow path yeah. where I'm not allowed to do that. So I put my energies elsewhere." And Jane just says, "What? Like masturbating?" <laughs> <laughs> There's not an episode where I sit there and go, "Fuck's sake, gotta watch this." You don't skip any of these; they're all fantastic. No, like, every single episode is brilliant and yeah. so well crafted and so well balanced. Oh, it's just. It's such a tr- but again, if it wasn't cancelled, we wouldn't be here talking about it now and its cultural impact, which incidentally changed the way sci-fi television was made forever. It was it went ten episodes on US TV, and it was the first show to have was it like um, documentary filmmaking with their special effects, and the whole show is shot on handheld. Mm-hmm. It had never been done before. How often do you see a sci-fi show where there's a camera mounted to the engine of a ship and the camera is shuddering as it's moving? Yeah. 
never been done. There's a lot of um, in a lot of the special effects shots as well. There are a lot of smash zooms, which yep. fell out of favor decades before the show came out. Firefly mm-hmm. brought smash zooms back. Yeah, and it's it's almost if the cameraman's just like, oh, there, there it is, there it is, and then it focuses. Yeah. And again, it changed the face of sci-fi TV because it was sh- like Star Trek Enterprise before the producers had to fight tooth and claw to get it filmed in high definition widescreen because that's what the format that people were adapting to that film it in widescreen film it in high definition render the effects in high definition and then yes they were fucking correct because when you watch it it's mm-hmm. ratio perfectly star trek enterprise looks fucking beautiful yeah firefly looks beautiful and then two years after firefly happened the same people who worked on firefly are doing the visual effects for Battlestar galactica mm-hmm. yeah and it, with the visual effects there's like you said, smash zooms. There's people following ships around. There's there's cameras mounted to these ships or these things, or you see the camera on the ground watching something come down. It goes out of frame and then it pans and it's in frame. Yes, it's and, like it's like the camera operator is having to find the subject. Yes, yeah, and it adds a, such a realism because you believe that it's shot for real and. The one place where that doesn't happen, though, is every time you're on an Alliance ship or on an Alliance planet, that's when yes. you get like yeah. locked off cameras. Yeah. And yeah, and I it's, love that. It's great. It's, yeah. it's, steri- it's the yeah. sterile, s- sterile nature of those ships. But like Joss Whedon has to really argue to do it in widescreen, and Fox didn't want to do that. They wanted to air it in 4x3. So Joss Whedon has to force the issue by like framing his shots so that it had to be done in widescreen. Mm-hmm. And that is how you end up with that crazy shot of Wash pretending to hold the spaceship yeah, steering wheel. Exactly. It's because in 4x3, mm-hmm. you, can't, you can't see his hands, but you watch it in widescreen and he's just miming and there's nothing there. But that was that was a pickup shot that was shot, I think, weeks or months after the initial episode. If you look at it, the geography of the cockpit makes no oh, sense. Yeah, no, they're like really far away from the consoles. But yeah, so sorry, uh, Jason. Yes, uh, Ron Glass also great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think we've uh, we've we've completed the Firefly circle right there. <laughs> and I, I love it when when you see Ron Glass, you realise that because he was the oldest, you realise how much he's done before Firefly. Watching old episodes of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Oh wait, I know, I know that voice. What the fuck, no? Because I and then you see him turn up in Star Trek Voyager. You see him turn up in things like Columbo, a Murder She Wrote, yeah. and you're like, oh my god, like this guy's done so fucking much. Yeah, yeah. Well, we made it through the cast uh, from 14 episodes of a TV show. Got a lot to say. We have got a lot to say, but uh, it's worthy of everything. So that, uh, guys, all we've got left to do. On this episode is just to give our verdicts and scores on Firefly and Secret ends up on our from our board from above. Is it better uh, than Top Secret? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) well, we haven't got rich this time, so his score, you know, it's going to be a diminished score. Oh no, Um, that can't that can't be how that works. Oh shit. (laughs) Maybe maybe we do out of twenty. We'll do the maths on it somehow, and we'll make it so that it's still it's still you know it's accurately reflected on the board. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got a feeling on where this is going, but mm-hmm. uh, Chris, we'll start with you, mate. It's going to be a 10. I didn't even need to think about that one. It just, it's going to, and again, it's not going to be as high as top secret because they're missing some votes unless we all do an honourable upvote. But just put it at the top, Jason, where it's wrong. <laughs> right at the top. Steve? 10. How could I not? How, How could, could I you not? not? 
I mean, through through the whole conversation we've had, I guess, I mean, they, we've not really said anything negative about Firefly, have we, apart nope. from... Joss and Adam. Yeah, yeah apart I from mean, them two. Like, I you know, could. I could. I think the companion stuff is the closest it gets to being a little bit mucky in a way that I don't love. Uh, the infantilization of Kaylee is a little bit weird. But, you know, none of it's super egregious. It's it's difficult to criticize this show. It's there's, there's just so many more positive yeah. than there is negatives, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's great. What more can I say, really? Yeah, I mean, you could say a number. I am going to yeah. say a number. I don't know if it's a ten. <sighs> my tens are very, you know, I save my tens for. Mm, yeah, I don't think, you, I've, ever, I don't think I've ever of this podcast, whereas we're the whore. Yeah. I'll just give out my ten to one another. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've even, I don't think I've given anything a ten yet, have I? I don't think you have, no. No, that's interesting. Well, I had a, I had a nine for Firefly in my head, so that's where I'm going. So, okay. and if Rich was here, he'd probably give it a nine as well. Do you think? So I reckon. Mm. No, I think he'd give it a nine point five, don't you? Yeah, I think he'd give it a nine point yeah. five as well. I think yeah. he'd give it a nine point five. I reckon. Yeah. Yeah, so so that's how we that's how we round up the scores. We just we just wing what Rich would say and add it on because who cares? It's just for fun, isn't it's just it? For fun. It's just, it's for, just fun. for fun. We don't we don't even know what the board is named. Come on, no, because this isn't this is serious. This needs to be right at the top. It is right at the top, Chris. Don't worry, mate. Right, it's at thirty-eight point five. That's near the top. That's Great. like that's like third. It's th- no fourth. It's fourth. Fourth on the board. Happy with that? Under yeah. Jurassic Park. Um, wow. Yeah. So we have. Um, I need to put all this in order because it's all higgledy piggledy. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, we have Jurassic Park at top mm-hmm. with thirty nine point thirty nine point nine, and then we have Top Secret with thirty nine point six. I'm sorry, but we really fucked up with that. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> If it was, was early say, days. No, no, we didn't. <laughs> Breaking Bad, 38.9. Um, sorry, my bad. Robocop at 39.1. Ah, and then course. Breaking Bad at 38.9. And then Firefly at 38.5. It's, it's, a, good right. it's a good company. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a good, good board. It's high time we get out of here, guys. Um, thank you all so much, as always, for joining us. If you would like to donate to the show, then please visit our coffee page where you can show your support, starting from just a single solitary pound. And if that's not right for you right now, then a review or rating on your podcast service will go down a treat. Come and join us in our Discord server to discuss the topics we cover, films, TV, video games, and much more. Links can be found in the show description or on our website. And speaking of the website, please give it a visit. We have articles, game reviews, our entire back catalogue of episodes and more at thewolfypod.com. Chaps, it's time to say goodbye. You can't stop the signal. We've done the impossible, and that's what makes us mighty. Very nice. Beautiful. My name has been Jason, and you've been listening to What's Wrong With Wolfie, a retro podcast to the max. We'll catch you next time.
wrong with Wolfie? I can hear him barking. 